Hey, can we appreciate the worship team? They did awesome. Again, we are so blessed with our worship leaders. Hey, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you in just a moment. Uh, also, feel free to use your electronic devices, share with a neighbor. I want everybody to see God's Word today. Uh, inside your bulletins are sermon notes a great way to track with the message today. I do want to welcome those joining us online. Uh, so glad that you're tuning in with us. I know you may be from a different city, a different country. Maybe you're not feeling well here in Modesto today. Glad that you're turning in, tuning in with us and hope that God speaks to your heart in a special way. Matthew chapter 2, I am stoked. We are starting a brand new series this weekend titled Gifts. And these are all gifts that we receive when we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So today we're talking about the gift of worship. Next week we're talking about the gift of participation. The following week we're talking about the gift of joy. And then Christmas morning we're talking about the gift of love. We're meeting together at 10 o'clock Christmas morning for a special message uh, on that special day, the birthday of our King. So let's stand uh, as we honor the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 2, looking at the gift of worship today. Verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophets, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a whole lot of joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Heavenly Father, God, would you speak to us? God, would you remind us and would you teach us what it means and what it looks like to worship Jesus? God, I humbly ask that you would take over my heart, my mind, my mouth, my vocal cords, and speak to your people the message that you have in store for us today. God, would you give us humble hearts 
that we may effectively receive your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Gifts. Before we dive in and, and talk about the gift of worship, how many of you already have all of your Christmas shopping done? Raise your hand. Anybody? A few of you. Very good. Now, how many of you are like me and you haven't even started yet? Raise your hand. Yes, that's a lot of us, all right? There's still a lot of different times, and we get so focused this time of year on all the gifts that we need to get for our parents, for our kids, for our family, our friends, uh, gifts that we hope we get ourselves. And again, we just want to pause over these next four weeks and really focus in on these, these special gifts that come with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And today we're talking about the gift of worship. And if I could simplify worship, worship is and expressed value and adoration to God. Expressed value and adoration to God. And today what we're talking about is, is, is really this question of what is authentic worship? What is authentic worship? What is, what is true worship? Because we can't live out our mission statement if we're not authentically worshiping Jesus, our mission statement is reaching and raising authentic followers of Christ. The greatest responsibility we have in this world is to worship Jesus because when we worship Jesus, we're going to share our faith with Jesus. Our mission statement is about reaching other people so other people will in turn worship Jesus as well. So, so what is authentic worship? And even as I say that, authentic worship is not phony. It's not fake. It can't be just manufactured by our own being. It comes from the heart. It comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because all of us were designed. All of us were created to worship. And we will worship someone or something. If it's not Jesus, it's going to maybe be our job. It's going to be money. It's going to be a hobby. It's going to be our spouse. It's going to be our kids. It's going to be our parents. We all worship someone or something, but God calls us to worship him because he's worthy, because he's the only one that's worth it, because he deserves it, and he will reward those who worship him. And the reality is, is if we worship someone or something besides God, it will always be to our detriment because that object of worship will always disappoint us, will never satisfy us, will always let us down. See, the worship of God is a vertical focus. And today, as we ask that question, what is authentic worship? We're going to be looking at the story of the wise men. And how did these guys demonstrate this example of authentic worship? Chip Ingram, a pastor, he defined worship this way, quote, worship is seeing God who really is and responding to that truth with all your heart, your life, your time, all that you are, because you just can't help it. You get overwhelmed with his generosity and are embraced by his goodness. It's responding with, with all that you are. What do we learn from these wise men about authentic worship? Three characteristics that we're going to look at today because we can live these out in our lives. We're going to authentically worship Jesus. Number one is simply this. It's a surrendered heart. It's a surrendered heart. 
Paul Balash, he mentioned this several weeks ago when he was here with us. He's one of the greatest worship leaders in the nation. He said it's all about a heart that is surrendered to Jesus. In fact, next to that in your notes, put it's all about Jesus. Surrendered hearts, it's all about Jesus. Write that down in your notes. In fact, say that to your neighbor right now. It's all about Jesus. Turn to your neighbor. It's all, it's all, that's worship. That's authentic worship to God where, it, where it's literally all about Jesus. And when we look at these wise men, what was their focus? It was all about Jesus. It's all about following that star that would lead them to Jesus. It wasn't about themselves. It was, it was about Jesus. Now, these wise men that, that are called magi, we know that they were extremely intelligent. They could uh, predict the future and interpret dreams in, in some ways and look at the stars. And based upon the stars, they could uh, look at your life. And there was this huge belief in astronomy and astrology that was basically the same thing. And these were just very respected men, very valued men. And as much as we know about these magi, these wise men, there's certain things that we're not sure of. We, we don't really know what star it was that they were following. Now, they, they looked at the stars, and this was their gift. This was their expertise. They believed that everybody had a star underneath that they were born, and the stars didn't move. They, they stayed in their course. And so if there was a star that was moving, a scar, star that was shattering, Basically, the heavens were declaring something special. So as they looked at the stars, they realized that with this star, that the heavens were declaring something special. Now, back in 11 BC, Halley's Comet was moving. Some commentators believe, and maybe it was Halley's Comet, some believe that it was Jupiter and Saturn coming together and proclaiming this bright light. Other commentators will say it was a nova. A nova is this explosion of stars that just makes the light just, just glow. But the reality is we, we don't really know what it was. We just know that the wise men were led by a star and they followed that star. We, we don't really know where these wise men came from. The Bible simply says that they came from the east. Most Bible commentaries say that it came from Mesopotamia, which is near Babylon. Babylon is where a lot of the Jews were exiled to hundreds of years earlier. It's where Daniel was, who wrote prophecy in Daniel 7 through 12, talking about the forecoming of Jesus Christ. It's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. It's where Ezekiel literally wrote his uh, prophecy. So there's so much Jewish scriptures. We don't know exactly where these wise men came, most likely Babylon, but, but that's just an assumption that we make. We don't even know how many there were. A lot of people say, you know, there were three wise men because of the three gifts. The scripture doesn't say that. There could have been two. There could have been 12. We don't know how many there were. We don't even know their names. Their names could have been Larry Moe and Curly, right? We, we just don't, we don't know their names. But what do we know? We know that they were pursuing Jesus for one purpose. And that was to worship him. And their purpose was fulfilled when they found Jesus. The one thing that they did when they found Jesus was they, they fell down and worshipped Jesus. These wise men were all about worship. And we can see this flowed from surrendered hearts. I think it's interesting that of all the places 
that Jesus was born, he was born in Bethlehem, a city that was known as, as the house of bread. And there in the house of bread, this city, Jesus, who referred to himself as the bread of life, would be born. Bread of life because only Jesus satisfies. The bread of life because only Jesus nourishes us. The bread of life because only Jesus gives us everything that we need so that we will never be hungry again. But if we think about a life that's all about Jesus, we have so many reasons to worship him. We can worship him because of all the things that he's done in our lives. We can worship him because of all the things he's doing in our lives. We can worship Jesus because of all the things that he's promised to do in our lives. A life that's all about Jesus. Yet, But if we're not careful, our life can be all about something else. Where our communicated value, where our adoration is focused on something else instead of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, for some people, it's their jobs. The greatest value in their life is their job. The greatest value in their life is their money, where they say it's all about money. If you're a sports fan, the temptation right now is that it could be all about the Raiders. Right? Any Raider fans in here today, huh? Is Carr playing well or what? Right? But it could be that temptation. Yeah, there's Niner fans, I don't think that's a temptation this year. All right? Just throwing that out there. It's not all about the Niners this year. But it could be all about the San Francisco Giants. It could be all about the Golden State Warriors. It could be all about something else. And we have to be careful that our value, our devotion doesn't go to something else. But our surrender hearts reflect that it is all about Jesus. Matt Redman, he wrote that song that we just sang moments ago ago going back to the heart of worship it's all about you this is what he said quote praise is a contradiction of pride pride always looks at me but praise longs for people to see Jesus and it doesn't matter where we are. We worship God 24-7. Worship isn't a light switch that we turn on and off. It's not something we do just on Sunday mornings for 25 minutes. It's this continual demonstration of the value and the adoration that we communicate to God. It can happen while we're driving. It can happen while we're sitting down. It can happen with our eyes open. It can happen with our eyes closed. It can happen when we're looking at our spouse, just thanking God and worshiping God for the gift that he's given to us. It can happen when we're silent. It can happen when we're singing. It can happen with a good voice. It can happen with a bad voice. I've heard people sing in a way that would make dogs howl. And I know God just looks down at that praise and he is pleased. Get here's Here's the challenge for so many of us when people don't worship the same way we do. When we get so focused on the way people worship instead of how we worship. Because the key to worship is a surrendered heart. We can't see that all the time in people. And so we just need to focus on our own lives and our own hearts and ask God, would you help me worship you in a way that communicates a surrendered heart in a way that communicates with my actions, my attitude, my words, my life, that my life is all about Jesus. Why? Because that's where authentic worship starts. Characteristic number one, 
surrendered hearts. It's all about Jesus. And I noticed these wise men, what did they do when they went and worshiped Jesus? Verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that. That's like going to Starbucks and getting a quadruple shot, right? This isn't just joy. This is they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I have no idea why I just did the bunny hop right there. I just did it. It just came out. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is beyond joy. This is beyond rejoicing with joy. This is beyond rejoicing exceedingly with joy. This is rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Why? Because that's what worship does. When we worship authentically, we are filled with the joy that comes from Jesus. Surrendered hearts that communicate it's all about Jesus. Number two is sacrificial living. Sacrificial living. Right down next to that, it's not about me. Right down, it's not about me. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, it's not about me. I think somebody just said, it's not about you. No, you're supposed to turn and say, it's not about me, all right? Come on. Got some funny people in here today. It's not about me because it's all about Jesus. Because when life is all about us, A, we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping ourselves. B, you, you will be miserable. And C, all the people around you will be miserable. How do we know that? We look at Herod. King Herod lived a life that was opposite of the wise men. The wise men, their desire was to worship God. Herod's desire was to have himself worshipped. He, 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 was, he was King Herod. He was known as Herod the Great. He was a man with so much power. He, he got along well with the Romans because they uh, worked together in different times of war. He was known as one of the greatest builders that there's ever been. He's responsible for rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. He was a man that at times would show compassion. He would uh, loosen taxes during difficult times. During one time, there was famine. There wasn't enough food. He personally got all of his gold. He melted it to buy corn for the people. But there's, there's one horrible characteristic, one horrible character flaw that Herod had. He was insanely suspicious. If he thought that anybody was going to take his power, if he thought that there was any threat to his power, he would kill him. He had his wife killed. He had his mother-in-law killed. His oldest son, he had assassinated. Two younger sons, he had assassinated. Why? Because in some way, shape, or form, they were a threat to his power. He was insanely insecure and suspicious. In fact, he was such a horrible man that right before he died, he went to retire in Jericho. And he knew that nobody was going to cry or mourn over his death. So he had all of the top people in Jerusalem illegally arrested. And the day that he died, he had them all assassinated simply so that people could cry and mourn on the day that he died. So when the Bible says 
that Herod was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him, we know why. Because Herod was going to do something. Herod was going to respond. It wasn't if he was going to respond, it was how he was going to respond. And we see what Herod did. Track with me in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. After the wise men are warned, they go in another way. It says in verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. How did Herod respond to the fact that the wise men went a different way? He had all of the babies, two and under, killed. Why? Because for Herod, worship wasn't all about Jesus. It was all about himself. And again, anytime worship is all about us, we will be miserable the people around us will be miserable. I think about this reality when, it, when, it, when it's not about us. Worship, it always will impact our actions. It's that, it's that filter. In fact, there was a man that was driving up to a, a light in the street, and it turned yellow, and he slammed on his brakes and didn't want to go through a red light. And there was this lady behind him that slammed on her brakes. She started honking the horn like crazy, flipped him the bird, uh, started cussing profusely, slammed her cell phone down, waved her arms. And this man in front of her was kind of nervous. He didn't know what to do. He's like, all I did was stop at a yellow light. You know, I didn't want to run a red light. And he's looking in his rearview mirror. And all of a sudden, a police officer comes up to the lady's window behind him, starts knocking, says, get out of the car right now, ma'am. And so he watches as this is all unfolding. The lady gets out of the car, puts her hands behind her back, and he puts handcuffs on her. She's like, what on earth did I do? I just used some language that was inappropriate. She said, man, be quiet. Get in the back of the car. Takes her down to the police station, throws her in a, a cell for a couple hours, does a background check on her. Two hours later, the police officer opens up the cell and says, ma'am, you may now get your belongings. I'm sorry we made a horrible mistake. She's like, well, what's going on? He said, well, I, I watched you in, in front of me, and you were cursing like a sailor. You threw down your cell phone. You flipped them the bird. You were waving your arms. You were thoroughly disgusted. Yet on the back of your car, on your bumper, it says, follow me to Sunday school. <laughs> on the back of your bumper, you've got a fish sticker. On the back of your bumper, it says, Jesus is the only way. So naturally, I assumed that the car had been stolen. <laughs> Worship isn't just this light that goes on and off. Worship happens 24-7 when we say it's not about me. It's sacrificial living. You know, Jesus, when he was interacting with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, there's this conversation about what true worship is. And Jesus said this, but the hour is coming 
and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. I love not, not should worship, must worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit, all of your heart, truth, all of your mind. Again, this is the totality of who we are. This can't just be going through the motions. It's, it's a mind that's anchored in God's word. It's a mind that knows who God is, God's purposes, God's desires. And it's a heart that's filled with passion. It's a heart that's filled with surrender. It's a heart that's just driven to God. And again, this happens in all of our lives, all of the time, including the words that come out of our mouths. See, worship should be a filter for our mouths. When we say, God, it's, 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 it's all about you. It's not about me. I'm gonna sacrifice my living based upon what I wanna say, how I wanna say it. I'm gonna speak words that truly lift up the name of Jesus. It's gonna change the way we talk. Thursday nights, uh, one of the things I like to do is, is watch TNT because there's basketball games on. Thursday nights, and there's four commentators, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley, and a guy named Ernie Johnson. And uh, right after the election took place about three, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, uh, these four guys just gave their response. And I, I loved the worshipful words that came out of Ernie Johnson's mouth. Go ahead and watch this with me. I've got kind of a three-part take on this after, after watching what we all watched on, on Tuesday. Number one, um, when this campaign season started, I, I felt like I'd been dealt a bad hand. Um, had these couple of choices. And there were trust issues with Hillary Clinton I couldn't get past. And there was this inflammatory rhetoric from Donald Trump, which to me was incomprehensible and indefensible. I couldn't vote for either one. For the first time in going to the polls for 42 years, I hit the write-in button. And I voted for John Kasich. And I left knowing that John Kasich wasn't going to win. But I left with a clear conscience because I hadn't settled. Number two, I'm hopeful. I watched the video today at CNN on what was going on at the White House with Donald Trump, President Obama. I was hopeful and I was encouraged that there will be a difference between the President Trump and the campaigning Trump. And I'm with these guys. We have to give them a chance. But here's the deal. I just hope that he's all in, in, uh, in fixing the wounds in this country and the divides that separate this country. And I want to be part of that, too. And for me to be part of it, I have to look in the mirror and I have to say, how am I going to be a better man? How am I going to be a better neighbor? How am I going to be a better citizen? How am I going to be a better American? How can I be a fountain and not a drain? And number three, I know you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion, but we're already talking about politics. and. So I'm going to go the R direction, too. I never know from one election to the next who's going to be in the Oval Office. But I always know who's on the throne. And I'm on this earth because God created me. And that's who I answer to. I'm a Christian. I follow this guy named Jesus. You might have heard of him. And the greatest commandment he gave me was to love others. And Scripture also tells us to pray for our leaders. 
And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for Donald Trump. I'm going to pray for all those people right now who feel like they're on the outside looking in, who are afraid at this point. Pray for them too. In short, I'm praying for America. And I'm praying that one day we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know what? That Donald Trump presidency, that was all right. But I'm praying. Wasn't that cool? Our worship impacts our words. Because we, we don't say the things at times we feel like saying. We say, God, how do, how do I honor you? Because it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. And I think about that sacrificial living. What, what does it encourage us to do? It encourages us to worship even when we don't feel like it. You know, some of the hardest times for us to worship, some of the hardest times for me to worship is in the midst of my hurt, in the midst of my pain. And often our, our, our temptation when we're hurting uh, or maybe we're just feeling guilty over sin in our lives is to run from Jesus instead of running to Jesus. And I'm reminded of what, what happened in 2 Samuel, David, after his son was born. He ends up praying to God and uh, David's baby passes away at like seven days old. And this is what David did in 2 Samuel uh, 12, 20. It says, then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. He worshipped. See, sacrificial living isn't based upon how we feel, because it's not about us. And I found that some of the deepest, most intimate times of worship for me personally is when I'm hurting. It was about 12 years ago uh, after Jake was born, and Jake, uh, our special needs son, we didn't know whether he was going to live or die, and uh, we were w worshiping at our, a different location, New Hope, and there was a song that had just came out, it was popular on the radio, it was called Blessed Be the Name. How many of you know that song? Blessed Be the Name. And my son was still at Stanford, uh, again, hurting, didn't know if he was going to make it, live, die. And there's this song that says, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. And the chorus goes like this, you give and take away, you give and take away, my heart is here to stay, blessed be your name. And I'll never forget worshiping and singing to God and basically saying, son, God, it doesn't matter if my son lives or dies, blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's during those times where we're hurting when we worship, God does something just awesome in our lives because it's not about us. What is authentic worship? It's surrendered hearts. It's all about Jesus. It's sacrificial living. It's not about me. And thirdly, it's about strategic giving. Giving Jesus my best. Write that down in your notes. Giving Jesus my best. Turn to your neighbor and say that, giving Jesus my best. Giving Jesus my best. You know, I've, I've always loved giving gifts to people. Uh, it started at a young age. Um, however, I, I did, haven't always done it correctly. Uh, when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, uh, Christmas would come and uh, would love to give my folks gifts and my, my brother's gifts. And uh, I would be the first one to have them under the tree wrapped. But I would just find stuff in my room <laughs> that I didn't want. 
like stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm, I think I'm going to throw this away. No, I'll wrap it and put it underneath the tree. Right? And I, and I would do that for a couple years, and it just got kind of old for my parents and my brothers. Why? Because I realized that there was no strategy in those gifts. Those gifts didn't mean anything because I wasn't, I wasn't giving my best. And then I got to experience the other side when somebody gave me their best. How much it meant to me. Got home from winter camp about 10 years ago and uh, opened the garage door, walked through the hallway, and there on the sign, what, the floor was a sign that said, so glad you're home. It was for my wife. She never, like, puts little cards down and says that. I'm like, I'm so glad I'm home too. And I kept on walking and said, it said, like, follow the path. I love you. You're a sweetheart. And I'm, I'm walking. And then I look up. And there in the living room is a brand new 90-gallon fish tank. It's something that I, you are laughing at me because you think I'm weird, right? But, but I, love, I love fish. And I had like an 18-gallon one. I was talking to Kelly about how cool would it be. And we didn't know how to, you know, we are going to get it home. And it cost a lot of money. And she, with the help of my father-in-law, they went, they picked it up, uh, they brought it home. And it meant so much to me because that was like the best gift I could possibly get. Now, months later, the fish started eating each other. I just got to tell you, that's not a marriage builder, all right? So if you're thinking about getting a fish tank, think twice, all right? Don't have the fish tank anymore. But at that moment, it just meant so much. Because my wife gave me her best. See, worshiping Jesus authentically means always giving him our best. Giving him the best of our time. Giving him the best of our thoughts. Giving him the best of our, our minds our love, our attention, our gifts, our treasures. It's giving him the best of everything that we are and everything that we have simply because he's worth it, simply because he's worthy. And as I look at this story of the wise men, what did the wise men do? They didn't give Jesus random gifts. They were very strategic in the gifts that they gave Jesus, and they gave Jesus their best. And I'm mindful that the first gift that they gave, they gave Jesus was not gold. The first gift they gave wasn't frankincense. It wasn't myrrh. It says when they came up to Jesus, they bowed down and they worshiped him. The first gift that they gave was themselves. You want to give God your best? You want to worship God authentically, fully give yourself to God. Everything that you are and everything that you have, because that's our spiritual act of worship. It's offering our bodies as living sacrifices. But notice what else they gave Jesus. Three, three items. And notice the str strategic thinking behind it. Number one is gold. Jesus is our king Jesus came to reign over us. Jesus came to reign over us. Now, a lot of, a lot of countries, you can't even approach a, a, king, a king without gold. This is a valuable item. This is an expensive item. This is say, you know what? You're, you're valuable. You're, you're, you're worthy of this gift. I want to honor you. I want to show my respect. They were very strategic in their thinking and giving because they were saying, you know what? This man has come to rule and reign over our hearts and lives. And Jesus came to rule and reign not with force but with love. 
not with a sword, but with arms spread out on a cross because of his love for every single one of us. Gift number two is frankincense. Why? Because Jesus is our high priest. Jesus came to, to represent us. To represent us. Frankincense is this, this perfume, uh, this sweet-smelling fragrance that could be burned. Uh, it was something that the high priest would, would uh, go and, and uh, burn incense and frankincense as they would offer a sacrifice to God that was pleasing to him to, to take away the sins of the people. Now, the sacrifice of the high priest was only temporary. When Jesus comes, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one that represents us before a holy God. Jesus is the one that when we surrender our lives to him and when we stand before our perfect father in heaven and Jesus is next to us and God says, why should I let you in? Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our defender. Jesus is saying, no, God, he's with me. I died in his place. He's given his life to you. Why? Because Jesus represents us the way the high priest used to in the Old Testament. And then thirdly, this gift of myrrh. Jesus is our savior. Jesus came to redeem us. What was myrrh? Myrrh was another good smelling substance that was used to embalm bodies of, of dead people so that the stench wouldn't be bad, so it wouldn't smell. They would apply myrrh to these people, um, these dead bodies, so that uh, it would smell pleasing, at least for a while. And so these, these wise men came knowing that Jesus would die, knowing that Jesus was going to be our savior. Gold for a king, frankincense representing a high priest, and myrrh for our savior. Now, if you're, you're thinking through gifts, or maybe you want to teach your kids this year, or your family, or be refocused on this Christmas story, one of the practical ways you can do this is give a gift that represents gold, give a gift that represents frankincense, and give a gift that represents myrrh. A, a gift that represents gold would be some kind of a valuable gift, an expensive gift, uh, and then talk back to the, the kids and tell them, hey, this is why we give a gift of gold. This is what it represents. A gift of frankincense would be something uh, that would help somebody in their spiritual journey, maybe a devotional, maybe a Bible, something that's age appropriate. I'm not gonna buy Hallie a commentary by John MacArthur this year. It's just not gonna happen, all right? It's a little bit too, too smart for her. Um, so, so something that's age appropriate. And then thirdly, um, it's something for the body. It's myrrh, maybe a perfume, maybe a lotion, something from Bath and Body Works, something that is uh, applicable in that regard. But just a great opportunity to say, you know what? We give these gifts because this is what the wise men brought Jesus. You know, as we look at this story, the wise men heard about Jesus. The scribes and the priests, they heard about Jesus. Herod heard about Jesus. But all of them responded differently. The scribes and the priests, we don't know really what they did. They probably just stayed there and, and hung out. Herod tried to kill Jesus because he wanted to worship himself. He didn't want anything getting in the way of his own worship. To himself. You know, what did the wise men do? They went and they worshiped Jesus. They fell at his feet and they returned to their home in a different route. Why? Because when we encounter Jesus Christ, we are always changed. It says this 
In verse 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. What is authentic worship? It's surrendered hearts where it's all about Jesus. It's sacrificial living. It's not about me. And thirdly, it's strategic giving. It's giving God my best. The question I want to leave you with today under the notes, making it personal, is, is simply this. How will you authentically worship Jesus this season? How will you authentically worship Jesus this season? Because it starts in the heart. A heart that says, God, I surrender myself to you. Let's bow and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God reminded again today that the greatest responsibility that we have is to worship you. And we don't want to do that half-heartedly. God, we don't want to go through the motions. God, we want to, we want to worship you today for all that you are and all that, that you've blessed us with. So God, would you, would you just soften our hearts would you reveal areas of our lives where we're tempted to worship someone or something else? God, where you would have our undivided worship because we love you and we value you that much. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with God, you can't authentically worship Jesus. But that can change right now. It's simply a, a, through saying, God, I, I want a relationship with you. You can do that through a simple prayer. It's not the words of the prayer. It's the attitude of the heart. It can go something like this. God, I, I want to worship you. But I need a relationship with you to do that. God, I realize today that I can't save myself from my sin. That I'm not going to be good enough. That I can't work hard enough. I can't do anything to escape hell, which is the consequences of sin. But I need you to do what I can't do myself. And that's come into my life and save me. Come into my life and rescue me. So God, would you do that right now? God, I, I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. And right now in this moment, I give you total control of my life. And from this day forward, God... I want to worship you for who you are, and that's Savior and Lord of my life. With all heads bowed, nobody looking around, but if that's your prayer for the first time today, you say, you know what? Today was the first time that I asked Jesus to enter my life, and I want to authentically worship him. Would you just look up at me so I can pray for you? I want to pray for you. If you made that decision today, you're like, you know what? I, I gave my life to Jesus today. Just raise your hand wherever you're at and look at me. You say, I want, I want that personal relationship with Christ. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the hearts that are here. Thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.